Welcome to the Medical Menemist Podcast, your source for memory techniques and accelerated learning in higher education. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. Today, we are joined by Dr. Eric Gantworker, who is an assistant professor of medicine at Loyola University in Chicago, has a master's in medical education, and is the medical director of Level X which provides video games to improve physician clinical decision-making skills. Some of these games include CardioX, PalmX, AirwayX, and GastroX, and these can be used to hone physician procedures and skills. Today, we'll discuss how medical games can increase physician and medical student abilities and expertise. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, You know, the only only thing for you is I'm an assistant professor of otolaryngology, not medicine, but uh, uh, I'll take it. That's totally fine. (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I must have gotten that somewhere else. Yeah, no, that's okay. Uh, I'm doing great today. How are you? I am doing great. It's going to get a little warm today. It's getting into the the summer heat in Florida, but I think I think I'll be able to survive. Maybe. Uh, maybe exactly. It's actually almost in the 60s in Chicago today. It's actually really really warm. Ah, I'm jealous. If uh, it weren't for the whole coronavirus thing, I'd probably be trying to travel somewhere else a little little cooler during this part of the year. But <laughs> absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, let's go into a little bit more about you. You have this medical education background, you're an assistant professor, and and you have these games coming out that are really interesting. I played them about a year ago. And what led you into this in uh, your educational background and direction? Yeah, so um, I always had an interest in teaching and, and uh, education in general. After I finished my training, I did my fellowship in pediatric otolaryngology in Boston. I stayed on and got a master's in medical education. And my specific interest area was in educational technology, the cognitive psychology of learning, and um, educational research. So that was sort of the focus of my master's degree. I had uh, some opportunities to advise for a couple companies that were doing some educational technology type things, and those really sparked my interest. I had an interest in games for learning as well and took some classes as well in Boston. I sort of focused on that and did some reading and thought it was a huge opportunity. And luckily, one of the companies I advised for uh, was in that space. And so I started out as an advisor for Level X about four years ago and then uh, came on as the medical director back in March of 2018 and continue in that role while practicing clinically about 50% of the time. Wow, that sounds so fun. And anyone that's a fan of the show knows that I have a, an education background in, in educational psychology. We have a lot of cognitive psychology experts on too to explain how to best learn, how learning how to learn actually works. And I really appreciate that you have this background too when tackling the gamification aspect of this like medical training. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's a huge opportunity space and a lot of people have looked in, um, you know, primary education, secondary education at how games can actually teach. And I know you had a uh, previous guest who talked about James Paul G's book and James Paul G, his book was a huge spark plug for me and really understanding how games are actually learning um, and how they are a, a direct extension of what could be in education and how we can use games effectively. And I really thought for medical education, nobody was really doing that. And some people have done it a little bit here and there, but you know, there's just a huge potential for games and learning and in medical education when we have such a high volume of really complex things to learn. Yeah. That episode with Keegan Longwheeler, I think it was episode 38 or 39 was really interesting. And 
I explored his material a little bit since I was trying to play around with a, a choose your own destination game style for for questions. And there's so much potential there, but no one's really explored it to to too much extent, I guess, except for you guys in the medical education field. That book is still on my to do list. I'll have to get. Oh, uh, you gotta read it. It's fantastic. <laughs> It, 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 you know, there's very few times you read a book that changes the way you think about things. And James Paul G's book changed the way that I think about domains. It changes the way that I think about expertise. It changed a lot of the ways that I think and really framed my current perspective on a lot of things involved with just education in general, let alone with games and education. I mean, I listened to that episode and it was really, really good hearing sort of from from his perspective and, you know, both of you having a lot of extensive educational backgrounds. You know, I think it's it's revitalized some of my passions. I think I hear a superhero team up coming on in the future. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I know after that interview in particular, I started reinvestigating some of the topics that I'd left off before. There's only so much time in the day. And I went through, took a, a few more Coursera courses just to see what was out there. And they're fun, but I really need to get that book and maybe a few other materials that have been recommended to me and explore this further when I have a little more time. But I definitely think that there has to be some great ways to implement this all the way into the pre-med and medical education spheres as well. Have you guys seen anything along those lines or know any research about that? Yeah. So, you know, funny enough, you mentioned that I actually uh, worked on some of the edX platforms and one of the edX platforms that came to the Harvard Medical School called HMX. I sort of worked on the precursor for that. That was my thesis project. Um, so, you know, I've lived in the MOOC era and I learned from a lot of the folks at MIT and the Harvard School of Education that were involved in some of the MOOC stuff. Um, so that really also sort of gave me a, a really good understanding of how uh, e-learning is is sort of formatted and, and presented. So uh, I think in general, the way that uh, medical education is taught is obviously very antiquated. We're all yearning for something different. And we realize that experiential learning is so much more important than sitting passively listening to a lecture. I mean, we've seen a lot of medical schools that have changed the way that they have taught, but it's a very, very slow, slow change. You know, case method, you know, which started in the law school, actually, that came to the business school that popularized it, is now just in the last five, 10 years, really coming to medicine in the, in the medical school level. I think uh, we're seeing sort of people changing the preclinical setting, adding more longitudinal clinical experience so that they can really contextualize some of the learnings that they're having. And I think games have a huge opportunity to do that. I think having somebody go through a game is way better than having them sit through a lecture, especially, you know, with the flipped classroom model that people are trying to, you know, introduce and revitalize, you know, that, you know, dates from 80 to 90 years ago, but it's been revitalized with the whole internet and, you know, uh, learning management system platforms that, you know, listening to a recorded lecture prior to coming to class, again, you know, for concept understanding, you know, it's a it's very passive and it's not it's not interesting, it's not fun. And so people disengage and anytime they disengage from something, the learning is obviously gonna be low, as you know. If you can actually get them in more of an activated state and high emotional state, then you can actually tie very closely that learning to that emotion and it actually will perpetuate itself. And that's how games teach people how to play the game. And we always talk about how passive learning is such a waste of time on this show, but it's the only way traditional education is still working. It makes no sense if you look at the science, the cognitive science behind Zero it. Zero sense. It, it's ridiculous. And I've been advocating for years in my personal life, and now I guess a couple of years through you know, the podcast and through other networks that we need to switch to an online-based 
or even a MOOC-based system to some degree anyway, because one, you now have educators that can go and teach and pre-record a lecture once and be done with it and not waste their time redoing the same one every semester or every year. Two, you'll get the highest quality instructors because, I mean, you don't need a, a separate professor at every school. You could technically form some sort of network between different schools or just have a MOOC that you get the best quality of instructors that can satisfy the, the widest range of students. Three, you have the, the distance there. You can reach everyone because it's online. It's like everything we're doing is backwards. And every other profession, educational profession that I'm aware of, has adopted online education to a much greater extent. A lot of my past degrees were there. They even have online law degrees. And one of my goals was to be the first one to start an online medical college here. But I guess that's probably going to be taken out of my hands now with the current pandemic forcing people to make the change. But yeah, the, the, the one silver lining with the COVID is uh, telehealth, teleeducation, distance learning. You know, you, you bring up a good point. And, and I do a lot of uh, faculty development around the country trying to teach people a, you know, the cognitive science of learning and why active is much better than passive learning. I try to, to empower them to be able to change the way that they present and ask them not to lecture, but to discuss. So anytime I actually give the talk, it's a discussion. So you try to leverage the prior knowledge and use adult learning principles to bring in all the participants into a learning experience. And you're just the orchestrator of that experience. And I try to empower them to do the same with their students to if you know nobody is participating, nobody's paying attention, then they're not learning and you're just wasting your time in theirs. And how can you actually use technology? How can you use some of very uh, easy science, audience response system, things like that to make it much more active? And you know, I, I also tell them to swallow their pride. I tell them the age of, of the sage on stage is gone. There's plenty of people out there that if we stuck them in a room for four years and gave them access to the internet, they would learn exactly as everybody else who's going through the medical school. And they need to understand that their role is not for content delivery. It is for concepts. It is for problem solving and novel applications of knowledge. And that is their role. It's not content delivery anymore. Yeah, they can switch from being lecturers, professional lecturers, to actually being educators and taking a more one-on-one -on -one approach and tackling those difficult concepts. I love it. That's uh, all right. I'm getting excited here. <laughs> <laughs> I listened to your Florida Mensa talk. Ah, yeah. Thank you. And I was getting super excited because that's all the stuff I talk about, all the cognitive science of deliberate practice, of space repetition, of interleaving, of all these things that I talk about. The only one you didn't mention is one of my favorites, which is the zone of proximal development. So next talk you give, please incorporate Vygotsky's zone of proximal development, because that has been one of my favorites, especially when you're talking about games, because games do that so, so well. Yeah, I forgot about that. I haven't read about him in a couple of years now, so I didn't even think about it. And that talk was interesting. I'm so glad that I got to do it, but it was very broad because we had such a broad audience. So definitely next time I uh, maybe give a lecture at a school or something like that, which I'm curious about doing. If anyone out there would like me to come visit their school, just let me know or talk uh, to your administration about it. I'd be happy to come and give a discussion. Faculty development, man. That's where it's at. Uh, teaching the new generation how to use the kind of psychology of learning to actually their advantage. Exactly. So, all right, if we're taking these concepts, we're getting back into gamification a bit, and, and we see that there's definitely some science behind the benefits, and it's just so much more engaging. It's not passive. It's more fun. I think one of the better applications that I've seen was many, many years ago with Khan Academy, and they actually have 
this math mission. And whenever you get a question wrong, it'll link it to the section of the video that explains it too. And that sort of immediate feedback and direction I thought would be perfect for medical question banks. And I tried to explore it with them many years ago, couldn't get through to anyone that was uh, high enough up there and tried to explore it through the choose your own destination type thing, but couldn't get anyone to really work with me on that. So maybe with everything else going on, now would be the perfect time to start implementing these gamified and interactive skill sets and methods in medical education to some degree. Absolutely. A lot of schools have made a big effort to try and change the way that sort of this material is presented. You see a lot of team-based learning, problem-based learning, case-based learning that's really coming to a lot of the medical schools. And that's, you know, knowing that active learning is is, is really the way to go. Some schools have actually adopted um, actually game modes to some of their learnings. I have a really good friend who's a tenured professor at UT Dallas who built a mod for Minecraft called uh, Polymer Science. So within Minecraft, they can actually build the machines that process the different petrochemicals. And actually, they can see and understand as they build these things, it's a very constructivist model, they can actually understand how the chemicals are derived from each other. And all using Polycraft that he created, he's, he's published on it. It's fantastic. If you guys haven't heard about Polycraft, I strongly, strongly recommend looking at Walter's group. The other is, is there was a group at the Harvard School of Education that made something called Ecomove. Ecomove, M-U-V-E, was a ecology learning platform that they used and MOVE stands for multi-user virtual environment. And so what they tried to teach, and I think it was an undergrad class, um, they tried to teach ecology and how the inter effects of different systems are on each other in, in the ecosystem. And they had to solve a problem. I think the problem was is the, the, all the fish were dying in, in the river or the lake. They all had to do their own little part to figure out what was going on. And they talked about rangers and things like that. And it's all about learning through doing. And that was you know, a really cool example for me about how you can get a classroom around one game and one mission and actually learn through doing, which was a really cool model for me. Wow. No, I haven't heard of those. I'm definitely going to have to check them out and I'll put them in the show notes for this episode too, for all the listeners. I remember hearing about Minecraft being used for maybe electrical engineering and stuff in the past, you could actually make electric circuits and create really complex actual like physical representations of, of different properties of different educational materials or, or whatever it might be. And I didn't even think about it for that aspect. It kind of reminds me of, I think it was called peptide maybe, where they allow students to go on and change the direction of different amino acids and you can create structures. And I, I think that became really popular after someone accidentally created a cure for some disease or something along those lines. Well, there was a game called Fold It. Oh, that's uh, it wasn't it was. really a game. Fold It was a, a protein folding. And I think the story is, is that they had all these scientists working on figuring out how this one protein folded and they couldn't figure it out. And so what they did was they created the data set in open source format and gave it out and allowed people through trial and error to figure out how it would fold based on certain parameters. And uh, they figured it out. So people who were not scientists figured out how this protein folded and it turned out to be true. And that's a really sort of landmark example of how crowdsourcing really complex data can actually be effective. Yeah, that was it. Folded. That is just amazing how something like that can can come to be. I guess uh, a lot of medical or scientific experiments and, and breakthroughs happen by accident. But when you're increasing the number of people playing around with it, you're going to increase the chances that you come across that good accident. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing is, is that 
One thing I do want to touch on is, you know, a lot of people are looking at how games can be used for learning. And we have this whole, uh, you know, burgeoning uh, evolution of games for learning in serious games. And the one thing, you know, coming and working at a, a studio that creates games that has been drilled into me is understanding where sort of the superficial game mechanics live versus the deep psychology of games. And, you know, we, we try to avoid the term gamification only because a lot of times what has happened is people are taking some of those superficial layer of uh, game mechanics like leaderboards and badges and, you know, scoring and competition and not really truly understanding the deep psychology that is games to foster and leverage those things to create learning experiences or actually creating fun experiences that just happen to give you some learning on the side. So I really want to uh, caution people who are trying to use games for learning to really understand and talk to a game designer to understand they have a deep knowledge of the psychology of games, all the different loops that go into games and all the different intricacies that don't you don't always see on the surface and you don't fully understand. That is a good point. You can make interesting games that keep your attention and have no value and games that are designed to have an intellectual goal, but be very boring and trying to kind of meld those together is sometimes very difficult. Yeah, and the example I use is Math Blaster, you know, so when the when the goal of the game is aligned with what the learning is, oftentimes it's not very fun or interesting. The most interesting, intriguing games is where you have to use your knowledge or skill to play the game. And the goal is tangential to your skill. And as you gain skill and knowledge, you are better able to play the game and achieve that goal, which is not exactly what the learning is. And Math Blaster was a good example of that where they actually, the goal of the game was the learning. So it really wasn't fun. In games we call, there's a term chocolate covered broccoli, where you basically add very superficial elements onto something that's not fun and expected to be fun. We've seen this also with the flipped classroom model where people like, you know what, we tried flipped classroom, it didn't work. And I said, okay, well, what did you do when you did the flipped classroom? Well, we gave them recorded lectures from the last 30 years and made them watch it. And then we talked about it in class, the same content. I said, well, that's not the flipped classroom's fault. That's not what it was designed for. That the same thing happens in games. People say, well, we tried games and they didn't work. Okay, well, tell me, what did you actually do? What, what was the model? What did you actually try to achieve with this? And what were the goals? And games do a really cool thing where they give you interesting choices, give you immediate feedback on the result of that choice, and then allow you to go back and make a different choice. And that is something that needs to be harnessed when we're in games is that rapid trial and error and giving feedback just to be able to allow them to learn how to play and use their skills and gain knowledge and skills as the game progresses and not make it obvious. Yeah, that is definitely a difficulty. And I think I, I find in the research a lot when it comes to flipped classrooms, when it comes to mnemonics for studying, when it comes to a lot of these more, can't think of the term right now, just they're more difficult to test or they are often set up incorrectly. And then it develops this conflicting evidence. And it's not necessarily the researcher's fault all the time. They just either didn't have the expertise, such as often the case in medical mnemonics, for instance. It, it's a skill that needs to be developed before you can try to test others on it. And uh, I guess in those types of classroom settings, they're good at certain classroom settings, uh, the traditional classroom, but they're not experienced necessarily in how to make an effective flip classroom. So we get this confluence of conflicting information and it can make a lot of people hesitant to try to experiment with implementing these more efficient learning styles and, and environments. 
And one of the things you've talked about in the past is the idea of deep understanding. And I think that comes from not having a deep understanding of what the goal and the power of the classroom can be. And the same thing with games. They just don't have a deep understanding. And so you either need to get the knowledge yourself or you need to hire somebody like an instructional designer or a game designer to actually help you with designing for effect, essentially. Agreed. It's just like mentorship in any other field. You need someone that knows more than you to make sure you're on the correct path and and not straying or not confused about a certain subject. And I have to wonder then, with all these technologies that we're talking about, what can a student maybe do now to improve their studies? Is there anything out there that you're aware of that they can maybe implement or any gaming technology that they should try to look into? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different uh, opportunities, and and sometimes it gets conflated between sort of e-learning or online learning resources and what actually is a game. You know, that's that's always a huge discussion that is this a game or is this just an e-learning resource? You know, a lot of learning management systems versus something else um, that's available out there. I'd like to take a quick moment to announce that the Online Medical Education Summit tickets are now available. So get your free tickets at freemeded.org slash O-M-E-S. Tell your friends about it. Tell your teachers about it. Tell anyone that would be interested in this medical education materials about this event. It's going to be a fun, free event where you can come and listen to our many expert lecturers discuss any questions you might have with resources out there, such as Picmonic, such as Kaplan, and tons of other online resource materials. Also, we'll be hosting our last Medical Nemonist meetup in a few days, and that'll be on the 24th. I know previously in the last meetup, I said the 20th, I had the date wrong, and I've been a little behind on getting everything updated on the website because there are some big changes coming. More on that to come in the next episode, but for future materials and archive materials from the last couple meetups, you can go to freemeded.org meetup. I think, you know, from a medical student standpoint, there's so many resources. I think one of the biggest problems you have is actually paring down the resources and the sources to be able to get best information. I think that there are some good question banks. There's some good online drawing sources. Um, I forgot. I'll, I'll think of the name and I'll get it to you. There's one where they can actually go through little animations for learning complex principles. And, you know, I think that uh, using some of those principles of actually trying to draw out your thoughts. So I've seen a lot of people do that on their own. You don't need any kind of software to do that. You know, you talk about mnemonics and, you know, we always talk about microbiology made ridiculously simple. You know, it was probably one of the hallmark books of everybody's medical school. And the reason why was because it tied exactly like your mnemonics, it tied it to something else in your knowledge. And I think there's a lot of games that can do that. I, I encourage them to explore. I encourage them to try out. The medical tab in the App Store and in Google Play has a ton of different resources. And I know for our boards that there's a lot of question banks that people are using. Nedjum Plus, actually, the New England Journal of Medicine has a Knowledge Plus that's actually a, a AI platform for learning. So it actually dynamically serves content to you based on your performance. You're going to see a lot more of these games and or resources where they're using machine learning techniques to actually dynamically drive content. In that sense, it's uh, it's customized to you. But I'm sure a lot of the medical students know a lot of these different resources. You know, our games our games are really cool and interesting because they have a totally different take on it. We believe that using the deep psychology of games and using sort of the high end visual abilities from all of the game software that sort of has blended with almost the movie software 
um, really makes for really fun and engaging games. You know, right now we're really clinician focused, trying to really, you know, change the way that people can demonstrate their skills, have fun and learn something on the side. But, you know, I definitely, we have a lot of medical students that use our platforms to learn and to play around. So there's a lot new and fun stuff coming down the line from us. That sounds awesome. I know your games definitely are on the higher end of the visual spectrum. Uh, We played Microbe Invaders when I was in my first year of basic sciences, and that's like Game Boy style graphics. There's Habatica, which is really for habit formation and goal setting, but it's very similar pixelated graphics that are fun to use. You could start a guild with your friends or with your class or your teachers and do missions together. What else is there? There's also like a there's body VR. They have a big group. And then there's another game where you're in, you're like an intravascular thing and you're actually shooting enemies. Games are really good and, and high visuals are really good for things that you can't see with your naked eye. And so if you can understand how complex principles are in some kind of visual environment, I think it really, really helps, you know, with the multimodal learning that you've talked about in the past and the dual encoding. Um, if you could have a visual representation and actually interact with it, I think that it solidifies a lot of these really complex things like immunology and microbiology and things like that. For my experiences anyway, your games definitely have the high-end graphics to them, we'll say. Is that intended to impact the actual learning environment or is there anything behind it that you guys are aware of as far as associating the graphic quality to the learning? That's a great question. There's a lot of discussions around fidelity and learning and it, it really comes down to, it depends on what you're using the graphics for. There's a lot of task-specific things that you can teach with low-fidelity models. And uh, the simulation environment, uh, the simulation literature is pretty ripe with saying that, you know, some high-end fidelity actually detracts from learning. The way that we use technology and the way we use our graphics is, you know, there's not a huge cognitive load that's involved in interacting with those things. You know, we talk about cognitive load when we're talking about VR and AR, and we as a company try not to use high-end hardware like VR and AR unless it actually is integral to the experience. It's, we don't use technology for technology's sake. And so fidelity, we use it a lot as a curiosity factor. So when we're talking about motivation, you know, when we want people to look at our stuff, we want them to be wow. We want them to be engaged. We want them to want to engage in this environment. And sometimes those pixelated things don't lend themselves to deep engagement. So it's a curiosity motivator. It's a, it's a demonstration of our expertise and the expertise that comes from the game's software and our techniques. And remember, all this is running on a phone. So we have, you know, super high-end graphics that you can't get on a 200,000 simulator and it's on your phone running in real time. All of our games have real-time physics running in the background. So we have fluid simulation, we have soft body simulation. We have all these custom things that you don't really appreciate on the surface that are running all in real time on your mobile phone. So I think we use, we use high-end graphics for a multitude of reasons. Number one, we can. Number two, we think it's really interesting and it really drives up the motivation to want to play our games. And we think that it actually adds to your intensive engagement within the platform because you really feel like you're in the airway when you're playing Palm X. You feel like you're in the call-in when you're playing Gastro X. And so I think it, it's really this deep, engaging environment. We think that it really adds to that experience and that interest and motivation to keep playing. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. This is in both Android and App Store. They can just go and type in Level X and all the games will show up, or do they have to search for each one independently? So you can either uh, put Level X in, it's L-E-V-E-L space E-X, two words, 
and you'll see our four games. And we come out with new content and new specialty areas all the time. So keep your eye out. We actually just relaunched our Audio X game today. So you'll actually see a totally new, uh, new revamp and much more abstraction. And we've added sort of what we call outer loops to the game. So there's actually some goals, again, that are you know, not directed at learning. They're more directed at creating a fun experience. And that's really what we're trying to do. Or you can actually uh, search for them individually as Airway X, GastroX, PalmX, or CardioX. But Level X should bring up all of our all of our titles. Great, that's easy to search for. Then I know we've covered so much, and I could probably think of a hundred other things to discuss. We might have to do a part <laughs> two of this sometime in the future. I was going to say I'm more than happy to do a part two. <laughs> do you have any other parting resources or recommendations for the audience? We have to be cognizant of the environment we're in right now with the coronavirus pandemic and everything that's going on. We are going to be releasing some free content for COVID-19 for learning safe airway management, diagnosis, you know, maybe some treatment and management type stuff. I think, you know, everybody is really yearning for a lot of COVID content. You're seeing a lot of companies releasing free content. And I think that's a fantastic thing. And so students and, and residents, fellows, attendings, whoever you are, there's just a plethora of free resources right now. So I encourage you to explore. Now's your time when you can actually see what's out there and, and what's interesting and what draws your attention and what's something that you want to engage with. I encourage you to check out some of these other resources that Chase is going to post about some of the games that we've talked about. I really ask people to play around with it. Now's a really cool time to do it yourself. We've talked about Twine in the past. We started using Twine. I used Twine in some of my talks to create interactive cases. I think Unity is a free resource that you can actually teach yourself. There's actually free resources on uh, premium learning for Unity right now. So you can actually teach yourself Unity, which is the game engine that we use and a lot of independent gamers use. And you can actually make your own game, whatever it is. The process of creating something is the learning. That is where you learn the most, is, is creating something using your knowledge. And I encourage you all to do that. I love it. I love it. Well, hopefully... You guys will start coming out with some medical student materials in the near future. And, you know, if you need a little help, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, I'm here for it. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Absolutely. That's my hope and long-term goal is, is to create content for that's uh, scaffolded for every level of learner. Well, Eric, I think it's been a great discussion. We've gone over a lot of material and definitely going to see some new changes in the medical education field with the COVID outbreak. I'm going to try to get this episode out sooner than originally planned because we have so much valuable information here and time-relevant information too. But I want to thank you again for coming on the show and talking with us. Thank you so much, Chase. Thanks for having me. Have you hit that subscribe button yet? If not, how else will you know when the great content from this show comes out? So please hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice and keep updated with all of our new releases. Also join us on Facebook, Twitter, or any other social media site via free med ed or medical anemonist pages. I'll see you on the next episode.